Good morning. Man, how's everyone doing? That is so mediocre and terribly disappointing. Let me ask one more time. How's everyone doing? Oh, man, that's so much better. Even if you're faking it just for church, uh, that was so much better. Listen, welcome, particularly those of you who are guests with us. We are so thrilled that you chose to come and spend some of your time with us this morning. Again, we are biased, but we tend to believe that you made a great choice. And our hope is that the Lord will meet you in meaningful ways. Our hope is that he's already been meeting you. Our hope is that you felt something of his love, even as people greeted you from the parking lot to the moment you sat down in these seats. And I trust that all of us, regardless of you know, who we are, have come in with some sense of expectation that God might just want to do something beyond our wildest imagination. That's our prayer, that he would meet us and would do something more than we imagined and would be a little bit different when we walk out of here than we were when we came in. My name is Kondo. I get to serve um, as a lead pastor here at Mission Point Community Church. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of uh, wrapping up a four-week conversation that we have been in around the topic of the will of God. And we've titled this collection of um, Talks, Decisions, Decisions, Knowing the will of God. And this morning we get to rap, and that's a hard thing to say because where do you rap? How do you rap such a vast topic? And uh, it dawned on me, we don't really get to wrap this conversation. I just get to stop talking about it. But our hope is that you will continue the conversation in your context and with people. Uh, maybe you've connected with a fresh or friends, family, whoever the case um, might be. That this would just be the launch of what will be a lifetime conversation of discovering what God has and leaning into it. Um, the will of God, it, it can sound super intimidating, super daunting, and, and very overwhelming, but it's really simple. When we talk about the will of God, we're simply speaking about what God wants to have or have happen. That's it. When you talk about what God desires, uh, the things he longs for, you are talking about the will of God. And as you grow to discover what God wants to have and what God wants to have happen, you are discovering the will of God. And for those of you who've been with us through the course of this series, uh, this is going to be summary. If you haven't been with us for this series, uh, this is going to kind of catch you up at least a little bit. But when we speak about the things God wants to have or have happen, uh, those usually fall into three different categories. There are more categories than that, but these are the three primary ones. We're either speaking about God's sovereign will, God's moral will, or God's specific will. Now, God's sovereign will, those are the things that God wants to have and God wants to have happen, and God is going to have them, and he's going to have them happen exactly as he wants them, when he wants them, and there is nothing you could do to stop him or slow him down. I don't have to like it. He's not taking a poll. He's not asking my opinion. He's not taking votes. He wants to get it, and he's going to get it done regardless. Sovereign will of God. When we speak about the moral will of God, we're speaking about the things God wants for all people on the planet to do. And so he gives us commands. Don't steal, don't lie, be generous. These are telling us the things God wants from all of us. Now, the difference between God's sovereign will and God's moral will is in God's 
moral will, there's a little bit of wiggle room. There's a little bit of choice. We actually get a say in whether we go along with what God commands or he doesn't. Stop mouthing off to your parents. No, I think I'm going to keep doing that. There's a little bit of say. But as we'll see here in a little bit, you never want to go against what God commands. The third aspect is God's specific will. That's speaking about the things God wants to have or wants to have happen specifically for your life, specifically for my life. This is describing the desires and designs that God has for each of our lives that are different from the ones he has from each of the other lives around us. This is speaking about God's plans and God's paths that he has uniquely crafted just for us to walk down and to walk in God's specific will for our lives. And in this series, we've been zoning in around God's specific will in particular. And we've been wrestling with questions like, does God really have a specific will for your life? Does he really care who you marry or where you live? Uh, does he care, let alone what you wore this morning or what you decide to major in? And together, we've wrestled and um, at least as far as I'm concerned, I've shared with you that I believe God's will is specific. God does have specific uh, will and desire for our lives. And that as we start to seek him and as, as we start to submit, as we start to lean in, he starts to make clear what some of those things for us are. This morning, we want to ask the question, what happens when we miss God's specific will for our lives. What then? If God has these plans and God has these paths and God has these desires and these desires specifically for us, things he calls us to go after, what happens if we miss those cues and we miss those plans and we go down our own paths? What happens then? Are we relegated to a second-class life from that point on. When we miss it, are we then to live a lesser quality life? Because we didn't go down the path he designed for us. And if he designed a path and you don't take it, are we now forever lost? What happens when we miss the will of God? Whether it's because we didn't seek him or because... We didn't submit to whatever it is that he told us to do. What happens then? And in order to answer that question, uh, we're going to spend some time getting to know, for some of us, maybe for the first time, but for some of us, uh, a pretty familiar character in Scripture, uh, a guy named Jonah. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, meet me in Jonah chapter 1. Uh, and again, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, guess what? We have your copy waiting for you. At the Connection Corner, we believe this is the Word of God. We believe it's God-breathed. We believe this is God's communication to us. It will change and transform and revolutionize your life. And we would love for you to have a copy uh, that you can engage. So stop by the Connection Corner after and um, grab one if you don't own one. Uh, but for this morning, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen as um, we learn some lessons that I hope will bring Hope for us from the life of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, um, starting at verse number 1. And we're going to take some pause moments uh, just to kind of get a little bit of context 
um, for what we are looking at in this story. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how it starts. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So God, whatever Jonah is doing, minding his own business, God enters in and starts to give him some pretty specific instructions to invite him on a pretty specific path to take him on a pretty specific adventure. And don't you love how the Word of God is oftentimes so stingy on details? I mean, this story just launches us into this place where it tells us the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. I want a few more details, like, for instance, how? How, Lord, did, did, did Jonah hear God's voice audibly? Um, did Jonah get a sneaking spiritual sense in his left ventricle? Um, did some cumulus clouds spell something for him up in the sky? Did he have a dream that he couldn't shake? How did Jonah get the word of God, but no details. God doesn't tell us exactly how he communicated that specific word to Jonah, which is great, by the way, because I read something like this, and then I start to ask questions, and then I wonder if God just doesn't know us uh, a little bit too well and um, knows that, that if, if he told us exactly how his word came to Jonah, we might be tempted to copy and paste his situation, his revelation into our situation, and we start to believe that that's how God must speak to us. And that becomes the way we look for God to speak to us. So I think in his grace, God is a little stingy on these details because he knows our plagiaristic hearts. And he doesn't want us to limit his creative ways of getting word to us when he needs to get words to us. And I think the silence about the details is a hopeful piece for us because it's God's way of saying, when I want to get word to you, I'll get word to you. How I want to get it in my non-cookie-cutter creative way. When I want to invite you into something, I will figure out how to get word. Don't worry how I got word to Jonah. Just worry about how I'm going to get word to you. The question is, are you in a posture of expectancy and anticipation that God might want to let you in on some of his plans, some of his purposes? So mind your own business how he got his word to Jonah. What kind of question is that? Um... But if we had time to, to sit around and tell stories, I bet you you would hear a variety of stories of a number of us who would say, yeah, and God got word to me. It was not the way I expected, but God got word to me. I mean, all I did was eavesdrop on a conversation about some mom who didn't want her kids, and my heart started to palpitate funny, and I knew God got his words to me. I mean, all I did was I had a throwaway day, so I decided why not visit a campus, and I visited Grace College campus. I mean, what's Grace anyway? And then I went to a chapel, and God got a hold of me. I knew I was home. God has his way of communicating to us, and I'm sure many of us would tell different stories about how you dreamed a dream that your soul would never let you wake up from, and even in your waking moments, it haunted you, and you knew God was getting words to you about that thing he wanted you to do. This is such a great reminder that God will get a specific word and his will to you in his own and brilliant way if you are listening. But, man, I would not be loving you well if uh, I didn't say this next part here. 
Um, God will get his word and his will to you if you're leaning in. But let me just say this out of love. You may not always like what he says. Oh, the word of the Lord came to me. Yes, you may get his word, but you might at times wish you never heard said word from God. Just before we all get excited talking about, show me your will, God. I just felt like that was the loving thing to do. Sometimes the paths he calls us to are painful. And that was Jonah's story. And that's some of our stories as well. But look at what God told him. Verse 2 again. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before, before me. Okay, I'm just saying, I can imagine Jonah having a moment where it's like, okay, Lord, <laughs> oh man, for a second there, <laughs> Lord, it almost sounded like you said, go to Nineveh <laughs> and call those suckers out. But I know that you love me way too much. You even like me at times. You would never call me to that cray business right there. So clearly I must have misheard. Because for a quick second there, Lord, I, I thought you said, hey, Kondo, I want you to go to one of those big meetings in, in that, that are often held in, in barns. And I want you to tell those people to start being nice. All right. Anyway, uh, oh, oh, you're like, um, I could have sworn, God, you said for a second, hey, Joan Barrett, I know you have plans for your Monday pickleball and everything like that, but um, uh, would you consider jumping on an airplane and going to North Korea and telling that madman to stop playing with the nukes? Oh, I'll take him down. I mean, I know you're a college student, and I know you have some projects coming up, and you're super busy, but if you don't mind, would you jump on a, an airplane and, 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 and head to Raqqa in Syria, and I want you to grab a, a bullhorn and walk through the streets and call out ISIS and tell them that if they don't stop their terroristic nonsense, that the real God is going to squash their fake God, and it's going to kick all their bottoms. So jump on a plane, go do that. I'm just telling you that sometimes what he might tell you or what he might invite you to may not be super comfortable. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the single most dominant empire on the planet at the time. And Nineveh was this center of human activity. I mean, just take a hint. If God calls a city great, you know there must be something about this place. But the only thing that eclipsed Nineveh in its size and in its power was its thirst for human suffering. It's not just that the Ninevites and the Assyrians loved to kill people. They loved to figure out new and more painful ways to do it. They had a deep, unquenchable thirst to see people suffer. It was their sport. And so if you came into the city, you would find the streets lined with skewered 
bodies. You would find the trees decorated with the heads of their enemies. That's how they rolled. They were monsters. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, hey, Jonah, I want you to march into that great city, and I want you to walk down that pathway, that road that is decorated with impaled bodies, and I want you to go and find the king who is his sport and his expertise is torture, and I want you to tell him, hey, listen, king, cut it out now, or God's going to take you down. Because sometimes the things God calls us to are not necessarily the things that nestle up against what we want to do. So I'm sure it won't come as a shocker to you, but spoiler alert nonetheless, Jonah didn't want to go. And if we had time to be honest and talk amongst ourselves, we might talk about a time when God called us to do something we did not want to do. We did not want to go. And so Jonah does what many of us often do. He runs. Check it out. Check it out. Um, In um, verse number three, it says, but Jonah, this this is, it's almost humorous. Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. That to me is just always funny. It's more funny when Jonah does it, less funny when I do it. But it's hilarious when Jonah does it. Jonah is he's running from the Lord. I mean, he holds the whole world in it. If he's holding the world in his hands, where are you going to run to? But Jonah clearly doesn't think clearly, um, unlike the rest of us. So unsophisticated, this Jonah. Uh, But anyway, he goes to Tarshish because no way God knows where that is. Um, And by going to Tarshish, you could not have picked a further destination from Nineveh, the place God told him to go. He's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go as far away from where you actually told me to go and land in this place called Tarshish. <laughs> can you, yeah, again, can you imagine anyone doing something so ridiculous? Anyway, not at this church, but at other churches. I've, <laughs> I've heard of people who will at times just run away from God. Um, God will invite them into something that is difficult or maybe promises a little bit of pain and they will run in a different direction. But honestly, if if we could talk openly, some of us this morning have run from the will of God at some point in our stories. Some of us are sitting in this room, and we are running from God, the opposite direction of where he called us to go, and maybe perhaps because what he asked us to do was something that was a little bit stretching, a little bit risky, a little bit costly, a little bit painful. It may not be something as crazy as go to Nineveh. It may not be something as crazy as Joan Barrett's excursion to North Korea, but it may still nonetheless be something we did not 
like. Because <laughs> God, I, I could have, it, it almost sounded like you said you, you want me to stay single for a season. Ooh, mm-mm. I've not been single for more than three months since I was 13. I don't know who I am without a cute boy. That's painful. So I am going to run into the next relationship. God, it almost sounded like you wanted me to forgive that person, that you wanted me to bury the hatchet. But you, they're monsters. You know what they did. So um, excuse me if I go the opposite direction than the direction you are calling me to go down. It almost sounded like you said, hey, change your friend group because this friend group has constantly pulled you in a direction away from me. But they are the cool kids, though. They are so awesome. And, and uh, so, God, I, I, forgive me while I run. Uh, maybe it's time to, to downsize and simplify so you can start that, that, that business I've been stirring your heart about. I, I think if we had time, some of us would tell stories, maybe not of today, but maybe days in the past where you knew God had shaken your heart and called you to take steps towards adoption or to stop drinking cold turkey because you know it's always gotten out of hand for you. Or to start a journey towards health. And you're like, mm-mm. I'm going to run from running, whatever the case might be. <laughs> the truth is some of us have heard God's word and we've not liked it, so we've run. We've left his path, and we've gone the opposite way. Now, in all fairness, to give credit and props to us, unlike the uncivilized Jonah, like, we are smart. Like, we, we, don't, we don't run like Jonah. No. We, we have, like, really cute church runs. It's different from Jonah's run. Jonah's run was just this blatant, like, I'm out of here, God, watch me run. We, we've reinvented running, and we have put our little twist um, on it. And so, God, I, I know you said I should take that trip to Haiti, but, but I'll tell you what, I've been studying Creole. It's such a great language, God. See how I didn't run in the opposite direction? I ran close enough without doing what you actually called me to do. I don't want to talk to my coworkers about th that situation th that is becoming more and more intense at work, even though I feel like you're calling me to step into that situation. But I'll tell you what, I'll volunteer more at church. Because, see, I'm not going to go to Tarshish, but if I go to ch churchish and I, I hide there, surely, God, you won't see me there, or I'll be close enough. I mean, isn't your run cute? Unlike Jonah's run, of course. No, God, I'll do what you said, but, but first. This is, a, this is what the, the way the church runs cute. You know, but first. The first, I just wanted, you know, 
I just want to get my finances in, in order, so I'm going to go to, to financial peace, which you better get, get, get with that. But, but then I want to save enough money and, and then, you know, like get that, the, the, the house situated, and then when I'm done with school, and then so I'm going to do it, just not, just not yet. So pray for me, everybody, for the Lord's timing. And we've been praying for the Lord's timing for 25 years for you. You might be running. Just say I know, I know this, this relationship is toxic, and God, you have called me to step out of it, but I don't want to do that. So what I am going to do is, you know, but listen, we've made our touchy-feely situation so much more PG now, God, and so we've kind of cleaned it up a little bit. Okay, cute run, but that's not what I told you to do. I know you said adopt, but we'll sponsor a child. I'm just saying, if we had time to talk, I think many of us would speak about the ways God's word came to us and he called us to something challenging and we said, I'm going to run in a different direction. And the truth is, no matter how pretty our run might be, if we've not stepped into what God has called us to, we are on the run. And that's some of us this morning. But here's the thing we see in Jonah's story. And this is what Paul has been trying to tell us for weeks from Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be foolish, but understand and lean into the will of God. And we see this in Jonah's story. To run from God's will always leads us to the pain, if not more pain, than the very pain we were running to avoid in the first place. You will never make the moments, few and fleeting, that we have in this life by running away from what God is calling you to. The God who designed you and designed things for you, though they might be painful, you will never find more life by running somewhere else. You will find, in reality, more pain. Look at what happens next for Jonah, chapter 1, verse 4. Then, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, apparently knew where Jonah was. And, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is so interesting. All the sailors um, who were on the ship were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, because when you start to run from God, I believe it even affects the people around you. It starts to cost them precious cargo. It starts to cost your parents precious sleep. It starts to cost your friends hours of untangling this drama that you are inviting them into by virtue of the fact that you are on the run. These innocent people on the ship become collateral in Jonah's running because you can't find life's best by running from God and it starts to affect the people around you. And so eventually they had to cut ties with him to preserve their own well-being. Look at verse 15 a little bit further down. Then they, these folks on the ship, took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm even as Jonah sank to its depths and by the way I've been that guy and I don't want to be that guy who is on the run from God and and people cut me out of their lives and their lives grow strangely calm 
because of all the chaos I brought along with me. I don't want to be that person. Running from God is not great. It starts to affect even the people I connect with. And I start to make people in my life accomplices. And oftentimes I don't tell them, hey, you're accomplice. I'm running from God and hiding with you. Are you okay with that? Um, no. But it's often the way it works. And so in this tragic scene, here is Jonah drowning in the very sea he hoped would hide him. The very sea he hoped would carry him away from pain. The very sea he hoped would take him to safer places. He's now sinking in the depths of it. And that's how it often works when you run from God's will. What you hoped would shield you actually sinks you. Remember when you started to, 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 to drink? I mean, just a little bit to escape or maybe to hide from something that you were supposed to do. And before you know it, you were drowning in the very bottle you hoped would numb the pain. That job you thought would keep you from going where God called you has actually owned you now. And you're missing out on the moments with family and friends and ministry and gospel adventure. That physical pleasure you ran from God into has now become an addiction and you are sinking in it. And you've tried to stop. But it continues to take you under when you run from God's will. And that's where some of us may be this morning. It feels like Sinking feels like drowning a little bit. But I love how this story starts to turn a little bit. Not right away. It gets messy first. But I love how the story starts to turn. That God in his kindness doesn't let Jonah die. And miraculously, and this, listen, if you've never read this story, let me just apologize in advance for how crazy what I'm about to read is going to sound. But... but but God doesn't let Jonah die. Instead, he miraculously sends this massive tuna to swallow him up. Now, again, God doesn't tell us what kind of fish it is. Um, it could have been a whale, but whale, fish, mammal, I don't know. A little confusing to me. But this sea creature <laughs> swallows him up. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. True story. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, can we just all agree for a quick second that being ingested by a fish is just gross and has to be super uncomfortable. Please don't chew, sir, you know, whatever the case might be. But next thing he knows, he is in this dark, slimy, gross, claustrophobic cocoon with little arm room, I would guess. Just stuck when you run from the will of God. And that's where some of us are even this morning. Stuck. Stuck. I mean, we're alive, don't get me wrong, but we're not really living 
We're breathing, but our souls really don't have much room to, to spread out and laugh with the deepest brand of joy that heaven offers to us. If we could be honest and tell stories, some of us might talk about how often we feel stuck, like we need to get out. We feel like it's darkness around us. No, no one else may know this, but we are constantly these emotional roller coasters, and it feels like the world is, is closing in, and it feels like there's this identity crisis. I don't know who I am. Everything feels confusing to me as darkness starts to engulf a little bit. I mean, you're in the relationship that you wanted, but you feel stuck in the relationship you ran to. And now you're ready to run from the relationship you ran to because you need to get to the next relationship because you're starting to feel stuck and claustrophobic in this one. It's not doing it for you, not quite enough. You need to get out. Stuck. I mean, you made the choices that you made, and now here's your new family that you didn't plan on. And as much as the Bible might say this is a gift, it feels like you're stuck and your dreams are now on hold for a while. I mean, you have a great job and everyone applauds how great your work is, but you feel stuck and you're constantly ready for the next promotion and the next level or the next job or whatever the case might be because everything just feels stuck and closed and claustrophobic when you run from God. We need to get to that next house because suddenly this one feels small and this one feels old. Some of us are there. Some of us have been there for years because we've disregarded what God said to us and we ran. And what marks our world is restlessness, always grasping for the next thing. Your friends are tired of how often you're starting a new thing and off to the next thing and a new passion because nothing quite feels like it's life. Nothing quite feels like it's fulfilling. Nothing quite feels like this is living. I'm on the path to green pastures. When you run from God, you always end up in place and paths that feel more like life is being drained. No real joy no real sense of life. What do you do when you've run from God and now you're on the other side of where he called you to be stuck? What do you do when it's too late to go back? You can't say yes. You've already said no. That door is closed. That opportunity doesn't exist anymore. What do you do when you are now introduced to your new reality and you feel stuck? Stuck like I can't change anything that's happened. And you live in this place of wondering what could be or what could have been. And for many of us, even feeling like I just, I just resigned to a second-class level of life. What do you do when you've run from God and you feel stuck? We do what Jonah did. Cry help. Cry Help. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. I love this. This is when the story turns. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. 
And we'll see the content of his prayer in a second. But from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. That's it. From the middle of this stuck place, Jonah cried, help. From the middle of that cocoon of regret, Jonah cried, help. From the middle of that mess he made, the things he had broken, the wrong turns he had taken, Jonah cried, help. And think about this for a quick second. What else could Jonah have done? Because you can't unrun from God. You you can't change the wrong choice that you've already made made. You can't get that relationship back. You can't get that opportunity back. What else can you do when you're stuck and claustrophobic at the bottom of the sea? Jonah cried, help. It's the only thing he knew how to do from the middle of that stuck place. Look at verse 2. He said, in my distress, in my stuckness, In my regret, in my turmoil, in my restlessness, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. I cried for help and you listened to my cry. He always does. Praise God. I can't change what I've done, but please God, help. When you've run from God's will and God's word, the only thing you can do is cry help. And that's some of us this morning. We've tried to fix the messes. We've sat around and wallowed in regret. And we have wished things could have been different. And if I could go back and we live in these fantasy worlds of only if, And I'm here to tell you, you may feel helpless, but it's not hopeless. Cry help. You've tried a variety of different things. Cry help. And when Jonah cried help, God began to do what Jonah could not do. Check this out, verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord, (laughs) this is just good stories in the Bible. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it... Vomited Jonah out onto dry land. I love that gross verse. The fish regurgitated Jonah. Woo! God told that fish to, to let him go. And I love the fact that for some of us today, God is going to speak to, to, to the fish of your past and is going to say, let him go. Let her go. And Jonah got to start living again. Now you can choose if you want to focus on the gross seaweed situation that's happening on that shore. I choose to focus on a guy who's no longer stuck. I choose to focus on a guy who gets to start over. I I choose to focus on a guy who is finally free. Someone here needs to start over. Someone in the house needs to cry help and see if God won't say the words to your past and to your regret and to your messes and say, let her out so she can start over 
again. The fish let Jonah out. There is glorious grossness in the scriptures. And you know that our hope happened in the most gross of ways on that cross. This should not surprise us. And I just came to let somebody know. You don't have to be stuck anymore. You can choose to be stuck, but you don't have to be stuck anymore. Your life does not have to be restricted by the mistakes you made at some point in the past. Your life no longer has to be governed you know, by the wrong turn you took however many years ago. You don't have to wonder what could have been. You now get to dream about all that can now be because when God says the word... What did you talk about at church? It's something about being vomited by fish and stuff like that. What do you do when you've run from God? You cry out and you tell him, help, I can't fix it. Because here's what is so true about God. God loves to recalculate. I don't know about you, but I, I love GPS. <laughs> it, it's, it's just the craziest thing. And have you ever tried this? Like, I mean, you, you, you are supposed to be going somewhere, and then you take the wrong turn. And when you take the wrong turn, what does that lady with a fancy, soothing voice say to you? Recalculating. Recalculating. It's just the most glorious thing on the planet. Recalculating. This lady is saying, hey, listen, I know you took a wrong turn, but I am up here in space, and I can see the map of everything that's going on, and I can tell you I'm working on getting you from wherever you got to to where you need to go, recalculating. And if you watch the screen, by the way, it's a trip, because you watch that illuminated path that you were supposed to follow, all of a sudden vanish, and a new path emerges and the whole map reorients. Woo! And I'm telling you, God is recalculating somebody's route this morning. He has a way of getting you from wherever you got to, whatever stuck place you're in, whatever wrong turn you took. He has a way of reorienting the whole thing and saying, boop, 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 you missed it there. Let me light up a new path and get you back to where you need to go. Recalculating. Recalculating. And people say that to me. So, but, but if you miss something, then is the whole thing broken? I'm going to listen. If God can reorient the whole world and cause the world to stop spinning just so the sun can stop in the sky, I think He can figure out a way to recalculate your route and bring you to where He wants you to go. I'm going to invite the team to come out so that they can close us in a song and give us the opportunity to cry help, give us the opportunity to ask God to recalculate for us. But even as they're coming out, let me read something for you. And woo, man, if this was a louder church, somebody would say amen to this. But look at what it says in uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16. This is just too good. Woo-hoo-hoo. All right, keep it together, Kondo. Listen to hope now. This is God telling you. He's not done with you. He's just waiting for you to be done with the running. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says. 
He who made a way through a sea and a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. I love that statement about your past. Extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. But check this out. Forget the former things. It's done. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up recalculating a new route for you. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, in streams, in the wasteland. Forget the old, God says. I'm recalculating and I'm making things new. I'm reestablishing a path for you to walk in. Cry. Help. Cry. Help. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what mistakes you've made. I don't know what message you've made. I don't know how stuck you feel. I don't know how relegated to a second-class life you feel. But God is doing a new thing. The only question is, will you step into it? There is new hope to start again. There is new hope to say yes again. There is new hope to walk on his paths again. And all because there was a day when his son Jesus got pushed over the cliff of this world into a deep sea called death. And there he was swallowed for three days by the big fish called the grave. But on the third day, God said, let him out. The Son of God rose from the dead. And if he's alive to a new life and you're with him, you get to start again. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. The only question on the table is what will you do today? I love how this story ends. It says, after Jonah got regurgitated, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for second times and for some of us for 50th times and that God will bring his word to you again. The question is not what you did with his word when it came to you the first time. The question is what will you do with his word when it comes to you again? And because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we get his word again and we get to say yes and we get to start afresh. Live for goodness sakes. Amen? Amen. Man, I just would invite you, even as the team sings, to sing the words on the screen. If you want to kneel, kneel. If you want to stand, stand. If you just want to read, read. If you want to sing, sing. But whatever the case might be, wherever you might be, I'd invite you to just cry help or cry thank you or cry yes, God. I say yes to whatever it is you've been calling me to do. Whatever you need to do to start fresh, would invite you to do that even now. Your mistakes have been paid for. Your past is gone. You get to live again. Enjoy that in Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you for your grace to us, and we thank you for fresh starts. So now give us the courage to say yes, even when it's painful, knowing that you are the God who will never call us to things you will not accompany us for. And so we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.